as we move into this phase, I just want to celebrate Chris Rothgeb leading music for the first time. Yeah, that's Chris, Libby Sawyer singing, Nick Ruxton on the djembe, Shay Tuttle on the bass. Oh, what a delight. What a delight. All right. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Drew Wilson, and with Stephen Poor, I'm a co-pastor here at Common Table. It's a joy to gather with you all. And uh, at this time, can we dismiss the kids to kids' ministry? We love our kids. We love our volunteers. And now with Georgia. Thank you, Georgia. Yes. Oh, marvelous. Marvelous, marvelous. Thank you all so much. Okay. All right. I um, also want to thank Lauren Leggett for reading Scripture today. It's a significant passage. Significant passage. In fact, it's one of the most famous, influential texts in all the Gospels. John chapter 3, it's where Christians get the term born again, as in born again Christian. You may have heard that term before. It's a relatively new phrase from the last 60 years or so that some Christians use to self-identify after a conversion experience, a life-changing encounter with Jesus. And John chapter 3 is also the origin of John 3.16. A scripture verse that, for some people, so captures God's good news in a nutshell that they want to share it every chance that they get. Football games, football faces, (laughs) baseball games. Shout out to Habitat for Humanity there on the left as well. That is the 2012 World Series. Go Habitat for Humanity. And Taco Bell. Go Taco Bell. Okay. (laughs) John 3.16, though, you see the sign up there. John 3.16 shows up everywhere. It has been a cultural reference point for a while now. But John chapter 3 starts with talk about origins. Origins. Where we're from. Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a Jewish leader who takes religion very, very seriously, comes to Jesus and he says, hey, we know that you have come from God. You hear that? We know you've come from God because how else could you do the things that you do? And Jesus replies, well, hey, unless someone is born from above, they can't see God's kingdom. So let's talk about where we're from. In a minute, we'll talk to each other briefly where we're from. There is a well-known Tagalog proverb that goes like this. I can't read the first part, but it translates, a person who does not know where they came from will never reach their destination. You know, we could just stop right there and sit and think about that for a while, couldn't we, right? A person who does not know where they came from will never reach their destination. That's actually quoted from a book that was co-written by our very own Sabrina Chan. Here at Common Table. So let's start with a question for each other. I invite you to turn to a neighbor and just ask and answer the question very briefly. Where are you from? I will watch the clock. Let's take 30 seconds. Go for it. Where are you from?
Okay, we're going to reconvene. Hopefully, everyone has gotten a chance to share. All right. Very, very good. Okay, so now I'm going to ask, do we have anyone in the room? Is anyone in the room from Richmond? Was anyone born here? Born in Richmond. Born in Richmond. Oh, my goodness. Marvelous. Okay. I didn't know that, Nick. Okay, very cool. You were born in Richmond. Yes, my daughter was born in Richmond. I forgot. Good point. Okay. Yeah, St. Francis, 2010. I was there. I was there. Um, who is from far away? Anyone out of state? Okay. Anyone out of country? Okay. Yes, Riley. Okay. Riley, I think you win. Riley, oh, where are you from? Where were you born? China. Riley, where are you born? China. Okay. All right. Y'all win. We're so glad you're here with us. Yeah. Amen. All right. Okay. So um, where are you from? That can be a simple question. Is it easy for you to answer? Is it complicated? Is it complicated? Um, it can be trouble for families of military and Methodist ministry because they get moved around a lot. Um, it's complicated for me. I was born in Charlottesville, lived there some when I was growing up, but I also grew up in the Shenandoah Valley and on the eastern shore of Virginia. So where am I from? I'm from Virginia. I'm from Virginia, right? Okay, in John chapter 3, we are invited to get a little more complicated about where we're from. Cool? Nicodemus says that Jesus must be from God. Otherwise, how could he do the things he does? And Jesus says, well, you got to be born from above if you want to see God's kingdom. And Nicodemus replies, well, that's complicated. Because how can anyone be born after being born? Let's look for a minute at the original Greek text. You ready for this? The Greek phrase is genete anothen. You want to say that with me? Genete Anothen. Oh, you can go to Greece and I don't know where that's going to get you, but. Genete Anothen! Genete Anothen! Oh, it's one of those, yes. Um, which can mean both born again and born from above. It's ambiguous, and that's why Nicodemus replies well, how can anyone be born again? They can't re-enter their mother's womb, right? And that's why Jesus slapped Nicodemus and said, do you kiss your mother with that mouth? No, actually, Jesus did a little bit more of a facepalm because what he meant was born from above. And he elaborated, Nicodemus, you can't enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. And that's getting more complicated. Clear as mud, right? All right, let me offer you two ways of thinking about this. The first is this, pop quiz. Are you ready? When Christians hear the phrase, water and the spirit, what might they think of? Baptism. baptism. Very good. Here you go. Ready? Visual example. Ah, baptism. Water and the spirit, the holy sacrament of baptism. We have language around this, all right? And as our liturgy goes, through the sacrament of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church. We are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation. 
and given new birth through water and the Spirit. All this is God's gift offered to us without price. New birth through water and the Spirit. And whether we are dunked in a river or immersed in a baptistry, that's the pool in the church building, or doused with water from the font, Stephen douses, all right? I don't know if you remember that from a few weeks ago. Woo, Eden. Okay, it was great. It was great. Powerful stuff. No matter how it's done, baptism represents a new beginning, or rather, a new origin. A new origin. Because sometimes people will ask a newly baptized person, do you feel different? Do you feel different? And hey, sometimes you do. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you realize that you are still someone who struggles and suffers and sins. That stuff doesn't go away. Does that mean that your baptism didn't take? No. No, because the point is not that you're perfect all of a sudden. The point is that you belong to God. See, now you trace your deepest beginning. You trace your deepest origin to God. You are born from above. You come from God. You come from God. Which leads us to our second way to think about this. We've talked about how Christians hear the phrase water and spirit. We've talked about how Christians hear that, but let's go even deeper. Let's go further back in Scripture. If we go all the way back to Genesis, here's your second pop quiz. If we go all the way back to Genesis, what might water and the Spirit make us remember? Oh, yeah. Okay, creation. Crystal's quoting verbatim. All right, go for it. So here we go. It goes, when God began to create... You know what? Can we read this together? Is that okay? Crystal, let us. Let's go. Ready? When God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was without shape or form. It was dark over the deep sea, and God's wind or spirit or breath swept over the waters. That's right. It's a word that can mean different things. We keep hitting these words. God's wind or spirit or breath. The word is... Ruach, that's right, Ruach, yeah. Wind or spirit or breath moving over the waters at the dawn of creation. It's the creation story. To be born of water and the spirit is to trace our origin all the way back to our beginning in the creativity of God. God who formed us in God's image, the imago dei, and God who breathed into us the breath of life, the breath, the wind, the spirit. So born again, eh. born from above, born from that awareness that you and all things come from God. Born from that insight that you and everyone else around you, we carry the image of God. Unless you're born from that, you're never going to see God's kingdom all around you. 
Unless you're born from that, you're never going to see God's kingdom all around you. Do you see it? Do you see it? Nicodemus gets a bad rap. Um, He struggles to get it. He struggles to see it. But then again, so do we. So do we. Nicodemus has been used as a foil, unfortunately, to elevate Christianity over Judaism and even to foment anti-Semitism. Because here you can use, and people have used, Jesus' words against him. (laughs) Nicodemus, aren't you a teacher of Israel? And you don't know these things? We testify about what we've seen, but you don't receive our testimony. And some people use this for proof texting, for suggesting that Judaism just couldn't handle Jesus. And so we take the New Testament over the Old Testament. We say things like, and if you've said this before, I'm not shaming you, but let's change this. Ready? Well, I worship the New Testament God, not the Old Testament God. Whoo! That's actually not a faithful interpretation. It's actually Marcionite heresy. The church worked this out early, early on. Okay, we don't do that. We called that heresy. Not shaming you or anything, but please stop. Okay. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But wow. Yeah, Jesus, Jesus not shaming Nicodemus for his Jewish faith because remember, who else is Jewish? Jesus, yes, yes. Rather, Jesus is inviting Nicodemus into a deep engagement with the whole of Scripture, the whole of the Hebrew Bible. Look at Jesus calling back to Genesis. And look at Jesus calling back to Moses. Did you catch that weird allusion? He says, The Son of Man, the human one. These are just other names for Jesus and the Gospels. He must be lifted up just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. You know that story? It's this strange and wonderful story from Numbers chapter 21 um, where poisonous snakes are biting the Israelites out in the desert during their exodus from Egypt. And the Lord tells Moses to make a bronze snake and Raise it up high on a pole so that anyone who has been bitten can look at it and be healed. Okay? They look at it and they're healed. And Jesus says, just so the human one must be lifted up so all who see, all who believe in him may live, may be healed. It's really beautiful and creative parallel. It's not a rejection of the Hebrew Bible. It's an integration of the Hebrew Bible. Cool? It is cool. It is cool. And here's why this really matters. It's not just the rise of anti-Semitism and Christian nationalism over the last few years, although that is good enough cause to reevaluate American Christianity. Yes. But it's also that when we come to a passage like John 3.16, we cannot receive it faithfully without a robust sense of our Hebrew Bible roots. We can't get it. Side note, um, since August 2019, I have been reading the whole Bible with my children. Um, Shay is like, you have a good time with that. All right, so, but every every other night when it's my turn to put the kids to bed, we read the Hebrew Bible and then we read 
uh, some other book, and um, we just finished Micah. We are only 40 pages from the end of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. Um, and uh, wow, it's fascinating stuff. And so, but what, the reason why I bring that up is, aside from Christian formation at home, um, trust me, because I've been reading, I've been spending a lot of time actually reading the Bible, all those books that no one actually reads. And we're like, well, it says things, weird things in there. Well, trust me when I say we really need to get to know this book better. Um, also, because when I got to seminary, I was sitting in Old Testament class, and I've shared this story before, I think, but we're sitting there and we're reading really scary, painful texts, and I said aloud in the middle of class, I should have read this book before I came here. <laughs> So, and it's true, I just, you know, and I wanted my children to have read this book because it's pretty influential, right? Let's read this thing. So, uh, when we come to a passage like John 3.16, we cannot receive it faithfully without a robust sense of our Hebrew Bible roots. For God so loved the world that God gave the only Son so that everyone who believes in him won't perish but will have eternal life. God didn't send the Son into the world to judge the world. Oh, let me say that again. God didn't send the Son into the world to judge the world, right. mm -hmm. but that the world might be saved through him. Now that should be good news, but some Christians have made it a case for just more judgment, right? Woo. And it is explicitly not about judgment. Not to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved. It's not about judgment. Stop doing that. I offer you this key word in the Greek, for God so loved the cosmon. This is related to our word cosmos. Cosmos. The universe. It's not that God so loved you, or us, or even just humanity. I mean, don't get me wrong, God does love, but it's not just that. But this is a hearkening back to the creation story. For God so loved the cosmos. Yeah, I see you, that's right. God so loved the cosmos. Can we do this? Can we just thank you? That is the move right there. For God so loved the cosmos that God sent the Son into the cosmos, not to judge the cosmos, but that the cosmos might be saved through him. American Christianity loves to make it all about you and Jesus. You and Jesus. You and Jesus. Me and Jesus. I, I, I. Me, me, me and Jesus. Jesus is my boyfriend. Jesus is my boyfriend. <laughs> and what matters most? And what <laughs> And what matters most in this kind of religion is crafting this experience. This experience that you that you have within these walls. We're going to make you have an experience. The rest of the world be damned. But when we actually read the whole Bible, and not just snippets on signs 
and on iBlack, then we know that God is up to much bigger things. Cosmic things. For God so loved the cosmos that God sent the Son from above. And the Son, the Son who says that we must be born from above, the Son sends us for the love of the cosmos. The whole world. The whole world. God has sent the sun from above. The sun sends us from above into this world for its salvation. Salvation not simply through a system of belief, but through a renewed sense of cosmic belonging and belovedness. Wouldn't that be a new birth? Mm. A person who does not know where they're from will never reach their destination. If you want to reach the reign and realm of God, if you want to see the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, if you want people to be healed from the poisonous snake bites of anti-Semitism and Christian nationalism and biblically blessed self-centeredness, if you want to try If you want to find true holiness which makes all people whole, if you want creation to reach its glorious goal, then hear this. You belong to God. We are born from above, from the place and time before all time, when the Spirit moved over the face of the waters. We are a small, beautiful part of a big, beautiful cosmos. And together, we are sent from above for the salvation of all things. For God so loved the cosmos that so do we. So this Lent, we attend more closely this season of Lent to following Christ in our life together so that we and all creation may rise from death to new life. Come and go in the name of the one who so loves as to sin. Amen.